Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Work & Co. is looking for several different positions. A designer, a lead designer, a product manager, a senior product manager, and a product management lead. All positions are located in Brooklyn, New York. The product manager, senior product manager, and product management lead positions are also looking for candidates for their Los Angeles and Portland offices. Bravely is looking for a sales development manager in New York City. Duo Security, now a part of Cisco, is looking for a senior design engineer. Vote.org is looking for a product analyst. This is a remote position. GBH is looking for a motion designer slash editor in Boston, Massachusetts. And Design Action Collective is looking for a production designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, which is our final interview of 2021, let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with illustrator and lettering artist Alana Flowers, founder of AGF Design Studio. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Alana Flowers. I'm a lettering artist and illustrator based in Brooklyn, New York. How has the year been for you so far? Wow, this year has been unlike any other that I've had professionally and creatively. It's been really refreshing and really a big learning experience, I would say. <laughs> In what ways? Well, I'm a new freelancer. I started freelancing January 1st of this year. So oh. I just jumped in feet first. And yeah, I've had so many rewarding experiences. And I think because I'm still so new, I've learned a lot along the way. <laughs> well, congratulations on striking out on your own like that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, like, what was the catalyst behind you deciding to do that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows how things have been 
for the state of the world. So the pandemic hits last year. And at that time, I was a a full-time in-house graphic designer slash graphic design manager. And I was reporting to work every day, working in downtown Manhattan. New York City's a hotbed, but I reported to work. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a challenge for me, definitely. And then I guess as the whole year sort of went on, I was really evaluating. I'm like, how can I start doing what I'm actually really passionate about? Because at that point, I had already thought about, uh, you know, maybe I want to strike out, even do something different, If even if it wasn't necessarily freelancing on my own. I knew that I just wanted something different. So the pandemic was a humongous catalyst for reevaluating on all levels. So yeah, I, I decided, I think like midway through 2020, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to start saving this this money that I'm making and um, try to figure out something on my own. <laughs> And you did, and you struck out on your own. Yeah. <laughs> Since this is coming up at the end of the year, like, do you have any kind of early plans or resolutions for 2022? Oh, yeah. Geez, I've been thinking really hard about next year, actually, because now I have something to sort of base things on mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything was very, well, we'll see how this goes. So now I actually have, you know, quantifiable metrics to sort of base things off of. So I have big goals for next year. I just want to, I want to expand my services definitely and just continue working with great brands and clients. So let's talk more about your studio, which is called AGF Design Studio. So you started at the at the beginning of this year, like how has business been just kind of like establishing yourself? Yeah, it's been really great. I've been very fortunate, honestly, to have worked with all of the brands and people that I've gotten to work with this year. I've gotten to work with Adobe. My first client was American Greetings. Like, I don't... Okay. (laughs) It's like, how does that happen? So I've had a very fortunate (laughs) year and experience going out on my own. So I think if we can keep that momentum, and it seems that we are so far (laughs) going into next year, I think that would be great. (laughs) Nice. Those are two big names just right off the bat for your first year. Yeah. So what is the process like when you're like, say you have a new project come in or there's a new design that you're working on or something like what does your creative process look like when you're starting something new? That's a really great question. It really definitely depends on what the client's needs are. And, you know, they give you a creative brief and you review it. And I start thinking about what exactly is it that they're asking me to letter? Because as a lettering artist, I'm usually illustrating some sort of quote or phrase. So I start thinking about stylistic treatments. I start thinking about, you know, sometimes the origin of the quote is historical. So maybe it's from like an actual figure. So I do a little bit of research on that person. And from there, I just follow the steps of my process, which are basically establishing some kind of hierarchy for the piece so that it communicates in the best way possible to the intended audience. So, yeah. So it seems pretty kind of straightforward then. Yeah, it's not too complicated. I think where things start getting complicated is maybe how long the phrase is Uh (laughs) and the composition creating for social media. Like, if you know, I'm usually given some sort of dimensions and constraints. So my compositional approach for something that's supposed to be a square will be completely different than something that's supposed to be like a poster, for example. So it just depends from project to project, I think. Are you like currently working on any projects that you can talk about right now? Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I 
can vaguely describe it, I guess. Yeah, I actually just started a project that I'm really um, excited about, and it's actually going to allow me to incorporate lettering and a little bit of animation, actually. So it's kind of a marriage of my interest in like filming and video and editing with lettering and and animation. So I'm pretty excited about this one. (laughs) That sounds pretty cool. Wow. So you mentioned Adobe, you mentioned American Greetings. These are both very sort of visually sort of strong companies, American Greetings with greeting cards, Adobe, of course, with everything they do with the Adobe suite and stuff. Are there like specific types of clients that you found that you sort of work best with? I've been fortunate to work with Adobe for a few projects this year. Each one was so different. I think what I've seen from the clients that I've gotten to work with is it's always best when the vision is as clear as possible, I guess. And when we can just establish that we're on the same page as much as possible and things pretty much sail smoothly from there, as long as you can have like a nice, clear line of communication with the client, I find that those projects go over the smoothest and the best from beginning to end. (laughs) So even with those like types of clients, I got to imagine you've probably had a bunch of different people just try to, to hit you up and with it being your first year, I'm probably guessing there's been some clients that you're like, you know what? I don't know if this is the best one. Because sometimes in like your first year of business, you kind of want to take on everything or you try to take on as much as you can because it's your first year and you want to try to do all the things. But have you found sort of the, the flip side to that? Yeah, I've definitely had some interesting things come my way. And it would just meet me right in the middle of me working on something. And I'm just like... I could say yes and rush through this and it not be that great. Or I could just politely decline at the moment. And, you know, it's great. They found me. They have my contact information and I have that contact from them. So those doors could more easily be reopened. Just like, hey, I was busy then, but, you know, my schedule's open now. But yes, there's definitely been a lot of temptation to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But thankfully... So far, so good. And timing seems to have been on my side for most of the time. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it's more of a timing thing than like uh, the actual work itself. Well, I guess that's really good. It's good to know. Yeah. (laughs) So let's kind of like kind of switch gears here because I really want to learn kind of more about you and how you really sort of came into all of this. Tell me about where you grew up. Yeah, I I grew up in White Plains, New York, suburban kid all the way. <laughs> Even though I'm in Brooklyn now and I've been here for a few years, I definitely was not a city dweller all my life. So yeah, I grew up in White Plains and that's the only place I've known. <laughs> Were you exposed to a lot of like design and art and stuff like that growing up? Yeah, I would definitely say that as a kid, I was always very enthusiastic about the opportunities during class to color and do arts and crafts and art class and stuff like that. And then just like from, I guess, like a personal side, like I always enjoyed like musical theater and my family would be able to go to Broadway shows every now and again, like for the holidays or something. So just like being exposed to even different forms of art, even if it's not visual or digital art, just being exposed to all different kinds of artistic expressions was definitely a thread throughout my upbringing. (laughs) And now you went to the New York Institute of Technology in Old Westbury. Can you tell me sort of what your time was like there? Yeah, my time there was so great. (laughs) It was so interesting because I went there 
And I applied there even on the recommendation of my old high school art teacher, Dr. A. (laughs) So he was an alumni of there. So he's like, oh, apply there because that's where he went. And the art program there was very small because NYIT is actually more of an engineering school. Um, Mm -hmm. So the art program felt very intimate. Like we, everyone who had some sort of art major, whether you were graphic design or motion designer or what have you, everyone knew each other. <laughs> so it felt like a very close knit little family and community. And I really enjoyed my time there. Do you feel like they really kind of help prepare you to go out there in the world and work as a designer? In some respects, yes. Where you're sort of thinking about working for a company or an agency or working in-house. Yes, thinking about, okay, I could have a job after this in a creative field, but not necessarily in the thread of, and this is how it looks if you want to work for yourself kind Mm. of idea. So definitely preparation was there, but definitely in the traditional sense. Yeah, I haven't found that there have been a lot of schools, maybe like some of the art institutes, only because I know that they do take a lot of kind of input in from people in the community, basically just about what they should be teaching. But yeah, there's not a lot of sort of design-focused schools I've seen that give you the tools sort of for entrepreneurship. It is about sort of pushing you into that, I don't want to say pipeline, but kind of pushing you into that realm of like, you can work for an agency or you could work for a design focused tech company or something like that. Like it's not really about how can I take these tools and strike out on my own? Because a lot of that is, I mean, yes, it's your technical skill, but there's also just so much business stuff that you need to know to run your own business and deal with contracts and all that sort of stuff. No. Yeah, absolutely. Any kind of inkling of what it was like to be a freelancer came from the you know, the one-off, maybe you have a a semester with an adjunct professor who happens to also be a freelancer on the side or something like that. I mean, they might show us some of their client work as examples and stuff like that, but definitely not completely focused, like you said, where it's dedicated to teaching you like the ins and outs of like the business aspect that goes into freelancing. Why do you think that is? And you know, that's a great question. I feel like, I mean, I feel like there's more attention on the creator economy And I've just, maybe it's because now I'm in it (laughs) directly, but I don't recall it being talked about as much, even like amongst, you know, me and my peers, the power that social media could have in transforming someone's creative career in that trajectory and being able to go off on your own. So there might've just been just like an unknowing of, you know, the potential of these platforms when I was going to school, like Instagram was was king, but now there's so many competitors and so many different avenues that you can take. So I don't know. I think as more people do it, the more shine it'll get and more, more people will talk about it. What were those kind of early years like after you graduated? So it's pretty interesting, actually. When I first graduated, I was very bright-eyed and was super excited to just jump into my field. But I actually had an opportunity fall through that I wanted to take to be a designer. And I was, you know, down on my luck a little bit. And I, um, you know, I told my friend, I'm just like, I just need income, please, (laughs) anything. So I ended up actually taking a job as a receptionist for a year right out of college before I was able to secure my first graphic design job. Mm. A receptionist, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I, <laughs> I gave myself one year because I was just like, and I was a great receptionist. <laughs> okay. I was very efficient. And they're just like, yeah, you're great. And I'm just like, and with all this stuff comes complacency and comfort. And, you know, this was just a very temporary thing. So you need to move on. So I had yeah. my exit strategy. And after that experience, I was able to get a uh, an associate design job in-house. Well, that's something good to know that you sort of had a plan to get out of it because sometimes, you know, you fall into those kind of gigs where you're doing the work as you have to do it. Like it keeps a roof over your head. It keeps food on the table, but it's not fulfilling. Like it's not what you really want to do. So at least you had a plan to kind of get out of that and eventually start somewhere and really sort of work on your design career. Yeah, I've. I, it's very interesting thinking about it now, but I was just like, well, it's part of my story. So <laughs> it is what it is. Like, it's not always a red roses, but I'm grateful for the way things happened anyhow. <laughs> now, I noticed that you've been doing a lot with social media. Just you can go to your website and really kind of tell that you're very active on these other platforms like like YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest. How has sort of, I guess, exhibiting your work through those channels helped you out as an artist and an entrepreneur? I think it has really challenged me to think about, one, I guess, how much one person is capable of. (laughs) So you'll see a lot of people who do content creation full time, and you're just like scratching your head and just like, how are they doing all of this content? And just like, well, there's a strategy behind everything. And a lot of content is actually strategically recycled and scheduled and all this stuff. So once I was able to break that sort of formula down in my head, I was able to be like, okay, I'm just going to put my work in multiple places, because you never know how someone will find you or come across you. And shooting as many shots as you can is always, I think, good, especially if you're entrepreneurial like me, or are just trying to increase your your chances of someone coming across your work. I think it's always best to be in as many places as possible. (laughs) And also, you know, by kind of doing that work and showing off what it is that you're doing, you're attracting other people, which for your first year in business, I mean, that's that's kind of the best marketing that you can do is to really show the work that you're doing so you know other people can find out about it. No, definitely. It's definitely a, a whole process of show and tell. You know, your social media quickly becomes your portfolio or your your YouTube becomes a reel of the things that you can do. I've had so many people tell me it's like, "Oh, I watched some of your YouTube videos." <laughs> and that exhibited that you can, you know, speak about this topic and you know about video editing. So, it's interesting also the way that people will break down, oh, I've seen your content in this place, this place, and this place. And from that, I can deduce, you know, relatively the kind of skills that you have and like the interests that you have. So I think it's just like a great way to to showcase everything that you, you can do. Mm. Do you find that like different social networks are better depending on what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I would say so. I think it depends because a lot of people have been saying, especially this year, that video content has really taken over platforms that were previously photo-based like Instagram, where TikTok and Snapchat have, well, mostly TikTok, but I guess Snapchat really kind of did it first where people are creating video content and using that as a way of exhibiting a tutorial. It could be for anything. I use a lot of my platforms to use as (laughs) tutorial-based posting. So I think that's a great way to engage with my community 
And it's not always about like, oh, this is a finished piece that I did. Like, I like to share educational content. So I found that anything that really has videos on it, which is everything, can really be used in that way, which I've tried to leverage a lot this year and has been pretty successful. And then like other platforms like Twitter, I found are just like a great for building community and just getting out there and just talking with people who are really like-minded and in your same sort of creative sphere. You know, maybe they do, they don't do lettering, but maybe they do, you know, type design and other kinds of illustrations. So it's really interesting to hit that follow button on someone and see them follow back and be surprised maybe the people who are just willing to talk to you about the stuff that you you guys already know that you're interested in from, you know, your bio or whatever. <laughs> so even, you know, kind of with all that, like, you're on these different social networks, you're doing these things. And I see that you have a section on your site about art licensing. Talk to me about that, because that's something that I haven't really seen on a lot of really designers or illustrator sites is about licensing. Yeah, that's definitely one of the uh, areas that I knew that even if, quote unquote, I was maybe slow out the gate to get some clients, I could definitely build a licensing portfolio. So I'm personally, I think I've collected probably almost every greeting card or holiday card, birthday card I've gotten since I was like, I don't know, 10 or something. And I've just always loved the illustrations and just like the look of greeting cards. I'm just like, that's art licensing. I could totally do that. And I was able to actually get a an art licensing course that I purchased at the top of the year. And it, it was really helpful for me getting some licensing clients. And that's just like a little bit of, of recurring income that I get, which is nice. And it's completely passive. Once I've done the designs, they just, you know, generate that little bit of income for me every month. So it's really nice. (laughs) So have like companies already reached out to you to license some of your work? Yeah, I actually did a little bit of, I think I've actually done probably all of the outreach, maybe I think for all of the companies that I'm licensing with right now, the first one I did was a mobile app called felt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually do digital greeting cards. So you have like the app on your phone, you can design the the greeting card, you can write it on your phone, and they'll mail the card out to whoever is in your address book. So they have like a hybrid sort of approach where it's like you do it the process digitally, but they'll still mail the card. So that was kind of interesting. And I don't, honestly, I think I just Google searched like crazy, (laughs) just like art licensing, seeing other companies that, you know, fellow lettering artists have licensing deals through and just collecting contacts and doing the research and just sending out cold emails and uh, got a few good responses this year. So. And is that, I mean, I would imagine that's probably pretty steady income too with licensing because you're doing it along like certain like time terms, like maybe monthly or annual or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it just depends on, on whatever your contract agreement is, you know, the terms of your royalty payments. But um, yeah, it's cool because I can expand my portfolio. If I want to add 10 new cards to a collection, I can and just have those, you know, go in circulation and see how they perform. And then you just get your little, your monthly commission reports. So you can kind of see how your your designs are performing and maybe where you want to make some improvements, maybe add to different categories or something like that. Who are some of your inspirations, like either as like an artist or as a business person, like who inspires you? Oh, geez. Well, (laughs) I definitely 
was inspired from the very beginning by um, Jessica Hish because mm. she was probably the first name that I heard attached to lettering. And I think that happened when I was in a typography class that I took in college. My professor had shown her daily drop cap project as an example of lettering. And I was just like, lettering. <laughs> and then from there, I just sort of fell down the rabbit hole, so to speak. And I was pretty much hooked from there. And other than her, Martina Floor definitely has also been a huge inspiration. And I actually took her freelancing course <laughs> when I was first getting started this year, learning the ropes of freelance from one, a seasoned lettering artist, but also someone who's been running their own lettering business for 10 plus years was uh, a huge inspiration for me. What advice would you give to someone out there that's listening to this and they kind of want to follow in your footsteps? Like they want to maybe learn lettering design or they're looking to strike out on their own as an entrepreneur. I know those are two separate things, but what advice would you give to someone that's listening and they want to go in either or both of those routes? Yeah. Well, when I was first thinking about it, I think I was first listing all of the talents that I had, I guess, like these are all the ways that I could monetize the skills that I already have. So I'm a trained graphic designer. I can do that. I taught workshops before I can do that. And just listing out those skills and talents was, I think, the first thing because I'm just like, okay, these could be my services hypothetically for, for freelancing. And then I think it just from there went to following this passion that I've had for a long time. I think that first exposure to Jessica Hish's work was probably 2013, 2014 or something like that. So from there, I just had lettering as a hobby and uh, a creative outlet while I was um, <laughs> sitting at my receptionist desk. So I think being a graphic designer full time made it harder for me to, to nurture that creative hunger, I think, for lettering. So I knew that what I wanted to buy myself was more time. So from there, I saved money. I knew I'm just like, I'm completely new to freelancing. I never truly envisioned myself freelancing, you know, in my career. So I was just like, I know one thing that I need is a little bit of a, of a cushion financially. So I definitely took a risk quitting my job, but I didn't just do it without any, you know, <laughs> kind of logistical understanding of my expenses and stuff. And then I think from there, it's just really, you know, go with your gut. I did have the financial cushion, but I did not have a client history. I didn't have referrals from other people, you know, that I could take with me, you know, in my little email address book or something. I was, I took a, a risk definitely in that aspect. But because I've, I've been nurturing this, this skill and this hobby for so long with the hopes of somehow making this my profession, I think a lot of the things that I've encountered were this, that whole luck where it's opportunity meets, you know, the preparation. So yeah, if you want to do something, make sure that you're already doing it in some capacity, even if it's just on the side to begin with, like, as long as you're feeding into that, whatever that thing is that you really want to be doing, that's definitely positive as well. Mm. What does success look like for you at this point in your career? Wow. Right now, success looks like being able to sustain and continue from places of passion and genuine like excitement and interest and not 
from the place of, I got to take this client on because I I need to, you know, I need Mm -hmm. to pay my rent (laughs) this month. I think just continuing with that, that feeling of, of excitement and passion, I think, because even when you're doing things that you're really interested in, you know, after a while, you might get a little burned out. So I'm hoping to not, (laughs) to not reach that burnout point and be able to be responsible with my time and with my emotional well-being. So yeah, I just want to keep doing this and and maintaining. Do you have a a dream project you'd love to do one day? Oh, geez. (laughs) I have many. And it's great because some of them even happened this year. But I am definitely setting my sights out for uh, large-scale projects like murals. Uh, So I am definitely looking to get my lettering painted outside somewhere in New York City. I think that would be the coolest thing and have people like take pictures with my work (laughs) outdoors. I think that would be, that'd be really awesome. What do you appreciate the most about your life right now? Uh, I appreciate the privilege that comes with being able to take a risk like the one that I took and in some ways I'm still taking. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the luxury of time. You know, I've bought myself a little bit of time with, you know, a little bit of the planning that I did before I ended up going freelance. But um, yeah, I'm abundantly grateful for those things. So given where you are now, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Is there like, certain work that you'd want to be doing at that point or anything like that? This year has been a lot of seed planting. So, you know, it's like I have to start from somewhere. So I started my YouTube channel this year, started with zero subscribers, just like everyone who starts anything. So in five years, it would just be nice to see these communities that I've started investing in grow. And just, I really love lettering and I love working with clients. It's such a rewarding feeling being able to help them. But it's also really rewarding to help other people who are interested in lettering. So that's why I definitely knew that as a part of, you know, my freelancing that I wanted there to be some sort of educational aspect with workshops or tutorials and stuff like that, like I do on YouTube. So yeah, just expanding my reach and having that allow me to reach back as well to others. Reaching forward and reaching back. I like that. So, you know, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you? Like, where can they see your work and everything online? Yeah, you can find my work at agfdesignstudio.com. You can find me on YouTube at AGF Design Studio. That's my channel name. That's also my name on Instagram. And then also on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Alana underscore flowers. All right. Sounds good. Well, Alana Flowers, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, you know, really, one, I think, telling your story, but then two, also kind of giving us a little bit of a a peek behind the curtain of what it's like to be kind of a new freelancer. You know, there's been all this talk this year specifically about the great resignation and people leaving jobs and like striking out on their own. And it seems like you've really, I mean, well, one, you have struck out on your own, but two, it seems like you've really hit a stride and you're making great work. You're promoting yourself out there on social media. I wish when I started my studio that I was half as like prepared and put together as you are with how you're doing everything. So I think you're doing 
a great job and I'd love to see where your work goes in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Maurice, for having me. (laughs) Big, big thanks to Alana Flowers. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Alana and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about Revision Path overall? I know 2021 has been another wild year, but one thing that has definitely kept me going throughout this entire year is hearing from you. So please, don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or now on Spotify. Now you can rate podcasts over on Spotify. So please help us out over there. Give us five stars. We would super duper really appreciate it. Let everyone you know know about the show because as I've always said, it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for this entire year. Happy New Year to you by the time you listen to this, hopefully. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>